Hi, everybody. I'm Mike Hancock, the chairman of the Circle of Excellence group of companies. And today we're here to look at the six things, the six things that really entice us to sort of self-sabotage. And it's such a strange thing, isn't it? When, you know, all of us study and we go to courses and we pay for coaching and we do all sorts of things to improve our business we fly around the world to go to conferences, and yet we still get all of that information. We integrate it, we do the best we can, and then we go self sabotage and we push the button to self sabotage. So I find it amazing. I've done it myself. Hopefully, I don't still do it. Maybe I do. I'm not sure. Occasionally, I know in putting these slides together, I sort of went, Oh, wow, I probably should look at this one myself. So, um, so I think we all do do it. I'm sure that, you know, Deepak Chopra and Tony Robbins self-sabotage as well. But the idea here is to reduce the amount of self-sabotage and, and provide some more self-love. So I'm going to share my screen and take you through what we've got to, uh, to talk about this morning. And as I do, I want to tell you that this is going to be pretty interactive today. So I like to do things interactively. Let's just let somebody else into the room. Hello to everybody who's listening after the fact. You can do this exercise at home. I would suggest you get a pencil and a paper so that you can work through this with us. Right, let's get started. So firstly, the six reasons that we self-sabotage and essentially how to stop doing it. So let's jump into this from shooting ourselves in the foot, which is essentially self-sabotaging, to you are going to score yourself out of 30. I have five things for each of the six points that I want you to basically score. So we are going to have a look at the first one, and then we're going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to reassess, and then we're going to look at the rest of them. Okay, so let's go with the first one. Limiting beliefs. So we have five things down here. And if you believe that any of these five are you, then just put a tick on your piece of paper. So the first one, I'll describe them all to you, a negative or scarcity mentality. So you're always got thinking sort of glass is only half full. Um, so you're also thinking that maybe uh, something's not going to work out. So you go and pitch a client and you think, oh, you know, I did it, but they're probably not going to buy. Or, you know, there's not enough hours in the day for me to achieve this, or I don't have enough money to do what I want. That's sort of heading to where that is. If you feel that, tick it off. The next one is a fear of failure or a fear of success. And both are relevant. The fear of failure probably is a bit more strong here. So, you don't do something because you think, what's the point of doing this because it's probably not going to work out? That's sort of the fear of failure. But also, if I remember back to very early on in my corporate life, um, I had a salesperson in my team. There was like 5,500 salespeople in the company. I had a salesperson in my team who was number one in the company by the end of October. And he came into my office and he said, uh, Mike, I'm going to go on holiday for the rest of the year. And I said to him, Brian, you are like number one in the company. All you've got to do is keep doing what you're doing and you're going to be number one. You're going to win the awards, the big bonuses and everything like this. He said, I know that. He said, but if I do that, everybody will expect me to do it again next year. And I don't think I can. 
So it was fascinating, his fear of success. He would rather leave and go on holiday than not win all the, the big awards and you know, have his poster up in the magazine, et cetera, et cetera. The third one, so give yourself a tick if that's you. The third one is procrastination, constantly putting things off. So if you're the type of person that procrastinates and puts things off, then definitely put a tick against that. If you want to talk about any of these, then maybe you can go to the chat. We're going to throw it around in a little bit. Self-doubt is the next one. You just don't, I'm not good enough. I don't have the right experience. I haven't done this long enough. I don't have the degree in it. Um, you know, it's been ages since I've done this. Uh, you know, the last time I did this, I didn't do too well. They're, they're all the self-doubt type of things that come in. And the other one that gives you a limiting belief is that you simply are having a lack of progress. So in other words, you've been working on this thing for six months now, and you really haven't moved the ball forward. So let me go to you and say, okay, let's be honest now with, uh, with all of us. And where are you at? What are you thinking? Where are you at? Would anybody like to share something that they feel um, is where they're at? Don't be shy. Sure, I can jump in, Mike. Hello, how are you, Surpri Ian? Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> okay, so yeah, I mean, I find it really interesting, the negative or scarcity one. Um, I don't have negativity problems, but I do still sometimes have scarcity problems. Uh, so that one I would put like a half, you know. And, and also where does it, do you know where it normally yeah. shows up? Oh, um, yeah. That's actually a really good question. Um, it's it's a, like a, it's a mindset. It's it's um, it's definitely a, a limiting belief or mindset where uh, I, I I'm 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 sort of okay. I mean, let me let me get really personal. I often have it with food, you know, like right. a fear of missing out, a fear of like if I don't have this, then you know, and that's shown up a lot in my life, and um, and I think that one uh, you know some spills over into other areas, but. Uh, uh, food is probably one of the, the primary ones. You know, that's a really interesting one because uh, thanks for sharing that. But, you know, I reckon I suffer from that as well. So it's not sort of a scarcity that there'll be no more food, but I sort of go to a restaurant and I look at the menu and I don't really want anything in the entrees, but I feel that I'm going to miss out if I don't have a starter as well as a main course, you know. So therefore, I end up ordering the, the, the starter and then I end up sort of going, oh, my goodness, you know, I certainly regret that. Now I'm stuffed, et cetera, et cetera. Or they come along with that dreaded dessert menu and they say, you know, do you want a dessert? And you're like, uh, yeah, of course I do. And, um, but you actually don't. So I wonder, you know, if anybody else basically has that going on as well. Let's have a look in the comments here. Oh, Stephanie, we've got two out of five, uh, three out of five, two out of five, four out of five, three out of five. I'm not surprised, right? Uh, Alex, you've got your hand up. I can see you. What would you like to share? So, yes, just to, to echo uh, Ian's point, uh, there we go, lower hand. Um, I, when you start with this, I looked at going, yeah, ne negativity, scarcity mentality. No, I'm fine on that one. And then you start talking about it and realize, as Heather said in the comments, it's that that uh, story I tell myself that I don't have enough time. I've got young kids. I don't have enough energy. 
um, there are too many distractions. Uh, and so that's why I can't make any progress. So they, they, I think that they feed in on themselves. Um, and if you've got one, it kind of builds on the next and builds on the next. So just what Ian was saying really, really resonated with me. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to share that comment. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Uh, Heather says scarcity in time and energy, lack of progress after working so hard, definitely. Um, you know, this is some of the things that are normally felt by people. Self-doubt for me would be your number one. Interesting. Maybe make some notes of these fellows. And, and Andrew, I love your picture you've shared here with uh, with procrastination sort of tick there and the bottom one, which I can't remember because I've got to go back to the presentation. So this is really uh, a good starting point for us. Let's jump back in. Now let's have a look at how we can solve some of these limiting beliefs. And as it says there, limiting beliefs are a restricted view of the way your life is. Before we had the guy with the ball and chain, now we're going to break the chain. So firstly is literally, and you've done this now, all of you, is to identify the belief and then challenge the belief. So, you know, if I picked up procrastination, for instance, you could challenge the belief that you procrastinate because there's plenty of ways, which I'm sure, if you think about it, you haven't procrastinated. Um, did you procrastinate over deciding what you wanted to for dinner last night? Did you procrastinate um, when you were in the boardroom and somebody asked you a tough question? You know, so it's not really that you're procrastinating. It's just that that's that's it. Procrastination is like the symptom of a deeper belief that you have to unpack. Let's have a look at the next one. Gather evidence that contradicts your belief. This one for me is the most powerful tool in reducing uh, limiting beliefs. I sort of bolded the things that I feel are the most powerful um, limiting beliefs and the way to cure them. So if you, we've just given an example of that. So a procrastination you feel is something that's, uh, you know, causing you to have limiting beliefs and not allowing you to go forward. Look at all the evidence of you not procrastinating. That way you will actually see that, you know, it's not as big a deal as what you think it is. So the next time you want to go into procrastination, you might say to yourself, hey, I'm actually not a procrastinator. I procrastinate 5% of the time, but I'm not a procrastinator. That just may be enough to move you forward. The next one is reframing the belief into something empowering. You know, procrastination could actually be a technique that I use to allow the dust to settle so that I can see the true state of play. And actually in my life, although sometimes it hasn't worked, for the most part, it's served me pretty well. That's a reframing technique. You could practice self-compassion. And this will become a theme as we look at the, the six here, is that for the most part, I think we are too hard on ourselves. So what can you do to practice self-compassion? Then lucky last one here is taking small chunks of action. There's an old saying, you can't eat an elephant in one bite. So a lot of the reasons we procrastinate is because it looks very, very difficult. You know, I played a lot of cricket in my life. So for me, it wasn't, you know, I wanted to go out there and make a hundred every time, although that would have been wonderful you know, you really chunk it down to, I want to get six runs off this over. I want to, you know, make sure that I don't go out in the next three overs until I've got my eye in a bit. You know, it's chunking it down into small 
pieces of action. Um, and I remember just recently I was watching an interview with a, with a great West Indian fast bowler and somebody and the interviewer said, what was your secret? He said, in-swinger, out-swinger, bouncer, yorker. He said it works nearly every time. So that was just chunking it down into ball by ball, little pieces of action. So let's move on and uh, let's, uh, let's see what comes next. Judgmental self-talk. So judgmental self-talk. I mean, I don't know what you do, but let's have a look at where this turns up. This could be a big one for some people. Swearing out loud at yourself. Now, it can be funny, but, um, you know, it's definitely something that uh, I have done and still occasionally do. Uh, luckily, Lundy picks it up every time I do it, and that's really helped me get rid of that one. So that can be one. Setting impossible targets. You know, we've got a few people here who just set impossible targets. In Circle of Excellence, I come across them a lot. And when I say impossible, it's probably the wrong word because everything's possible, but unlikely targets. So it's like somebody who last year made $200,000 saying this year they're going to make 20 million. You go, well, hmm, that's probably unlikely, okay? And then they beat themselves up because in the first month they're not at 2 million or something like that. That can be really be judgmental. Next one is self-labeling. I wonder how many people do this. This to me is the biggest bit of judgmental self-talk. Stupid me, okay? Oh, I'm so silly. Oh, I'm so dumb. You know, all of that sort of thing that we do. Remember to just make a tick next to any of these that you feel that are you. And then we have a mistakes focus. It's sort of like, um, you know, the musician who comes off the stage and the crowd's cheering and chanting for the encore and somebody says to them, how was it? And they go, mm, I hit a bum note in that third song. It was terrible. Like they don't focus on everything they did right. They don't focus on the fact that it was the best concert that the, the crowd's ever done. Andrew's ticking, ticking my form here. I think this is a hilarious, right? So you'll all be able to see it. But um, this mistakes focus can just be so damning for us. And then the last one there is inflexible thinking. So um, just simply being single-minded and inflexible to things that could be different ways to do things. So let's just uh, move on to some of the, the, the solutions for this. But as I do, let's have a look here at uh, the... Uh, Philippe, there's a great book also to help with our beliefs. Thanks, Philippe. I love how you always put these books in. It's quite short, written as a fable, so quite entertaining. He's got a link there called Useful Belief Because Positive Thinking. Okay. Then um, Alex Mel Robbins said that if you're inside your head, you're behind the enemy lines. Truer words. Yep, Lundy and I are do doing a keynote this uh, year called uh, We Have Identified the Enemy and They Are Us. Um, so I couldn't agree more. And Philippe, don't speak negatively about yourself, even as a joke. So true. Um, your body doesn't know the difference. Words are energy and they cast spells. That's why it's called spelling. Absolutely. Change the way you speak about yourself and you can change your life. Uh, Bruce Lee. But interestingly enough, if you look at a lot of comedians, 
they do this degrading humor about themselves. Then you look at their personal life. They're so funny on stage and they're actually really quite sad off stage. And uh, some of that reason is probably because of what they do there. Okay, so let's have a look at judgmental self-talk in the positive here. And uh, we've got a whole lot of green ticks on the page. So I think that's fantastic. Um, but let's have a look at what comes out here. So first one is to practice self-awareness. So that literally means picking up the areas in which you are feeling that you may be speaking badly to yourself or swearing out loud at yourself or you know, having a mistakes-based culture inside your own personality. This one works really well. Now, this is not my idea, um, but I, I like the idea. I've never used it personally. Landy has. She said it was great. And it's a negative thoughts bracelet. So get a rubber band or something like that. Put it around your wrist. And every time you have a negative thought, thought or talk poorly to yourself or have some type of judgmental self-talk, flick the rubber band. You'll start to realize how many times a day you're flicking that rubber band. And then you'll become conscious about it. Then every time you say, oh, crap, I'm an idiot, then you flick the band, you say, no, no, I won't do that next time. Then next time you're thinking, oh, crap, I'm an idiot, you go, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm not even going to think it. Then you start over time, you start changing the processes. I think this is a good one. Treat yourself like a friend. So if a friend was talking or being as judgmental as what you were about yourself, what would you say to that friend? How would you coach or counsel that friend to be less self-judgmental? That's an interesting one. Then celebrate small wins. I think very few people celebrate wins and we don't celebrate small wins. So I was saying to Lundy yesterday that, you know, we're already um, literally about 50% up on budget for this month. And we've still got like 10 days to go. So, you know, are we going to celebrate that? It's a small win that you could celebrate instead of just going, well, that's good, right? And then get regular feedback. This to me is the big one that you could do in order to ensure that you are feeling good about yourself and you're not being so self-judgmental. So getting regular feedback, often I say to people, go and speak to the people who know you close and ask them what they think that you're doing really well at the moment. And a lot of those close friends and colleagues and that will literally tell you uh, what, uh, you know, what you're doing well. Uh, Andrew, sorry, I didn't realize my text would appear on my slide. It's all right, Andrew, not a problem at all. Um, then treat yourself like a friend or your kids, Steve says. Okay, well, that's very true too. You know, if your kids are in this space, what would you say to them? Now, not every parent, um, Steve will be as great as you, but, uh, but definitely yeah, there'll be some people out there. Philippe, you had your hand raised. Yeah, I just wanted to add something uh, when it comes to treat yourself like a friend. I took a course um, like three, four years ago. And when you have this negative self-talk that happens sometime, um, you need to remember that you wouldn't talk to yourself as a three-year-old. So the advice that I was given is to have a photo of yourself when you're three or four and then try to say the same thing to that person, and you just can't. Yeah, exactly. That's so true. Uh, I've got uh, Alex, you've also got a hand up, so go for it. Yeah, uh, just on the, the negative self-talk, uh, a really good technique I saw online was to 
sort of use the opposite. So uh, instead of saying, oh my God, this is the crappest painting I've ever drawn, you go, you, you turn around and you say, oh my God, this is just, it's amazing. It's, it's uh, you know, the Louvre is going to be calling to replace the Mona Lisa. Because even if you're saying it sarcastically, as you said, words matter and your brain starts to believe it and eventually you'll be giving yourself compliments um, rather than sarcastically, rather in a, in a way that is meaningful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lynette says here, imagine the younger you as a smaller, beautiful child, and then say to her, what have you been saying to yourself? How would that feel? So that's really good. And I mean, I think also this is where positive mantras can work really well for everybody. Um, you know, I think I've told a number of you that uh, Robin Banks, who's very well known in South Africa, is a good friend of mine. Uh, he used to stay in my house in Auckland. Most of the time I wasn't there, but when he was touring New Zealand, I gave him my house and my car, and particularly when I was overseas. Well, when I was overseas, he got my car. Otherwise, he didn't. But um, And he used to be downstairs, and I sort of lived upstairs, and I used to hear him in the morning saying, I am an exquisite being of light, and, and I'm like going, Robin, keep it down, you know? But actually, those that, and his mantras used to go on for like 10 minutes, but they're fantastic things to, to do. So with that, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's have a look at the next one. So this is perfectionism. There you are in your photo there cutting your grass with your scissors, right? And it's really not about being 100%. This is like nothing short of 110% good enough. And uh, that's really a shame because I'm not a perfectionist. Um, and sometimes it comes back to bite me. But... Basically, I'm on the basis of, you know, if I've got things 90% right, then I'm good to go. But some of us are perfectionists. And let's have a look at what that means. So firstly, you have unrealistic goals. So I remember that uh, we had a, a lady who came to our Bali Business School once, and it was in December. And at one point, we got them people to write down um, their New Year's resolutions. She had 48 New Year's resolutions. I said to a boy, are you setting yourself up to fail, right? She said, no, I'm going to focus on every one of them. I said, if you can do one, it's phenomenal. If you can do three, it's amazing. She said, what's your news resolution? I said, my news resolution is to give up smoking. She said, you don't smoke. I said, I know. See, I'm going to achieve it. So, um, you know, sometimes that's a realistic goal, right? But sometimes having unrealistic goals just really sets you up for just terrible failure. And then avoidance is a sign of perfectionism. You don't start something because you know that it's going to take you a year of your time and you're going to be working at three o'clock in the morning. You don't build that website because everything has to be perfect before, because you have to have all the copy written first. You have all the right photos. You have to know what products you're selling and it's pointless building that website until you do that. That's sort of the avoidance strategy for perfectionists. This is the big one for me. You have difficulty delegating. And, you know, I use a lot, actually, I pretty much don't change this um, case study in the circle of excellence of, uh, of Cornelius, who's a client of ours, and definitely a perfectionist because he'd fa his father had taught him, you know, nobody can do anything as well as you can. So when you have that inbred into you, then what happens is you don't delegate. And when you don't delegate, you end up wearing, working 100 hours a week and doing stuff that, you know, 
you could literally get other people to do very, very simply. So difficulty delegating. Then you become too details focused. And that becomes a shame because, I mean, we really want to be in uh, the area where we're big picture. And if we're big picture, then we can really sort of start to achieve more with big picture. And then here's the big one for many of you that have got staff or contractors working with you, you micromanage them. So you may think, oh, I'm delegating, but then you're all over them. Have you done this? Have you done that? It's been half an hour since we spoke. Have you uploaded this? Whatever it is, right? That's perfectionism. And it really keeps you stuck because it just means that you cannot achieve the amount of stuff that somebody who's not quite a perfectionist uh, can achieve. Um, back to the comments for a second. So Haja says mantras work better if you place your ring finger on, on your thumb and your two first fingers to tap on your skull above your ears. Rotate your eyes and say the mantra out loud. This is a kinesiology technique that gets mantra in, in past your filters and to reach the, area, uh, the right area of your brain. Okay. Difficulty delegating, classic 50s wife syndrome. Absolutely. Yes, difficulty delegating, Heather says. Very funny, guys. Okay, so let's, let's have a look now at some of the solutions for perfectionism. So this perfectionist has managed to actually play with his perfectionism. The first one is to be kind. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to other people. Just have a general state of kindness and that is going to dilute your obsessive compulsive perfectionism state. Remember, by the way, let's just go back to this one. Tink, 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 to make your ticks there. And let's see how many ticks you've got. Unrealistic goals, avoidance, difficulty delegating, too much detail focused and micromanaging. Make sure your ticks are there. And then let's look at the things. Be kind will get rid of a lot of perfectionism. I find this one actually really helps with perfectionism is set baseline and stretch goals. Most perfectionists set grand slam goals. So, you know, I'm going to make a million dollars this year. Okay, what's a stretch? Okay, what's the baseline? Well, I need 300,000 to live. What's the stretch? Well, 500,000 would be good. So by setting those goals and also mapping against those as well as your million dollar super target, then that's a great way to monitor your perfectionism in a different way. This is a big one for me. And I learned this so many years ago when I was training salespeople in my corporate life. Focus on learning, not achieving. So this is the way we used to do it back then, is that um, after a salesperson had been through training, and I normally had between 10 and 30 salespeople working for me at this point in my life, I was in my sort of mid to late 20s, I guess. Um, the first thing that they do after they've gone through their training is I would take them out to a prospective prospect and I would show them how to sell. Then the next time I would take them out and I would allow them to do the simple parts of the sale and I would do the difficult parts. Then the third time we would get go out there, I would let them do the whole sale. I wouldn't do anything. But I always told them it doesn't matter whether we get the sale or not. The sale is irrelevant in all of these cases. What is relevant is that we learn from each of the experiences. 
And because I took the pressure off having to get the deal and put the focus on learning, A, we got a lot of deals, but B, that enabled people to actually get the learning, which is far more important. Practice mindfulness, meaning a little bit of relaxation, a little bit of mantras, a little bit of yoga, a little bit of this, a little bit of that is breathing techniques, et cetera, et cetera, is really going to help you with your perfectionism. Coaching and hypnotism, if you are a true hardcore perfectionist, is probably where you need to go to start moving some of this stuff on. Let's go to the, the chat. Okay. Um, here we go. Ian Hatton, thank you. Perfectionism is addictive because when we invariably do experience shame, judgment, and blame, we often believe it's because we weren't perfect enough, particularly in things like physicality and um, maybe you're not as quick thinker as somebody else or something like that. Rather than questioning the faulty logic of perfectionism, we become even more entrenched in our quest to look and do everything just right. That's from Brene Brown. Thank you, Ian. It's a lovely uh, statement. Focus on learning and not achieving. Thanks, Lynette. Steve says, perfectionism and difficulty delegating, easy to find yourself justifying why you're spending that unnecessary time on the last 10% to make it perfect or why it's easier to do it yourself. I think the issue may be always learning. Okay, so I'm going to stop the share for a minute. And Shazar, I'm going to ask you if you can to elaborate on that one for us. I think you're talking to me, aren't you, Mike? Yes, <laughs> I am. Often get me mixed up with my sister. <laughs> anyway, um, I think I focus too much on learning and don't put it into practice and therefore don't achieve. I mean, I do. I put. Well, perhaps this is a judgmental thought and I should Self-judgmental. Go back yeah, to the previous I, slides. I should actually go and um, see whether or not that's really true because perhaps it's not. Perhaps I do implement a lot of what I, I learn. I just don't recognise it because it's not in the format that it's supposed to be or that I think it's supposed to be. Well, that's right. I mean, it's uh, people are so hard on themselves because things don't happen the way that they... They wanted them to happen. You know, uh, most of you know this story, but for the people who are listening after, after this call is that, uh, you know, when I was a teenager in my early 20s, I wanted to be nothing else than a rock star, right? All I wanted to be was a rock star. Play, play guitar, stand on stages, write songs, have crowds go crazy. So, you know, and I did that for a while. So it's not that I didn't do it, but, you know, I could easily look back at this time of life and go, wow, that lasted 10 years or well, actually it was 12. That lasted 12 years. But, uh, you know, you know, there's people my age now that are still doing this, right? I could easily look at that as not making it. But in actual fact, I took all of those skills and I applied them to speaking and I've spoken on the best stages in the world and still continue to do it. And I still have an effect on an audience and I can play my guitar if I want to um, and have done it at several events before and, you know, a lot of you don't even realise that some of the music you listen to when you come to events is music I've written. So I'm still using it, but in a different way. So Sahaja, I think, you know, often we, we utilise the learning, but not really necessarily where we thought that the learning was going to be. I think that's really good feedback from you. Um, Ian says, getting stuck in getting ready to get ready cycles. Oh, how many of us do that? We get ready to get ready to get ready. Uh, 
I don't think I do that as much as I used to. But I remember somebody saying to me in a, in a podcast interview once, or might have been a TV interview, I can't remember, they were saying, when they read my bio, I've done a lot of things. And I think it's because I came to a point in my life where I thought, you know, and it comes from my mother, because my mother died when uh, she was 45. And so by the time I was like late 30s, early 40s, my mindset was, I'm going to be dead in five years, right? That was my mindset. Wrong, totally, right? But um, that, that was my mindset. And I remember my business partner at the time uh, kept saying to me in my early 40s, stop thinking you're going to die in three years, right? <laughs> but um, because of that, it made me go, right, I need to achieve this. I need to do this. I need to do this. So I actually started going, I've got limited time. So that's when I started writing books. That's when we produced a film. That's when I brought out a, a couple of solo albums and things like that. And there's a list of other things because I felt I was time poor. But I think, you know, for us, um, the learning there is that, you know, we don't have to do everything now. Um, plan it in a way in which it makes logical sense to you. Most of you try to do too much in too little time, myself included. Um, but if we look back at the last five or 10 years, we've actually achieved something pretty tr tremendous. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's just jump back into our solutions for perfectionism. And there they are. And now we're going to move on to our next one, which is chronic worry. I really, when I thought about this, all I saw was that puppy dog that when you go to scratch it, it freaks out, rolls over and wets itself. And you sort of go, well, is that excitement mm, partially or is that worry? Well, for us, some of us roll over and wet ourselves, not because of excitement, because of worry. We find ourselves like the lady in the picture here who is constantly sort of rubbing our temples because stuff just ain't going right. We've got a deadline. We promised our client this. We promised our spouse that we attain this income, whatever it is that we're doing. So make sure that you give yourself the scores, tick off the boxes here as we go through this. So... Chronic worry, a symptom of that is that we're constantly expecting the worst. You know, we are about to give a presentation and we think, oh, I know the damn technology is not going to work, right? Or, um, you know, we think, oh, you know, when's load shedding? That's a South Africa thing, right? The power's going to go off. Or we think, um, you know, the person's probably not going to turn up for this meeting that I've prepared all this stuff for, or they're just going to give me an excuse. So we, we have those sort of emotions. This is a big one. We just can't relax. So we simply just cannot relax. We're, we're like a cat on a hot tin roof all of the time. We're, we're still working at eight o'clock at night because we think we've got things to do. You know, really, it doesn't matter if we do them or not. This one is a big one for me in worry. We're constantly replaying past mistakes. You know, those mistakes are just part of our journey. But hopefully we learn from them. But there are a number of people that sit there and they go, oh, I remember back late last year, it was terrible. I just don't want to be in that position again. I, I, I got in front of that board and I just lost all of my words and I couldn't even think, you know, it would, huh? it's done, get over it, right? I'll build a bridge. Seek reassurance. So we're constantly talking to somebody, seeking reassurance, our best friend, our dog, our cat, you know, our coach. So many, I remember um, I had a client, she, she died a couple of years ago, the lady, but 
um, back in 2007. Uh, she was a great friend and she used to crew our events and she was a magnificent person. But I remember when I started coaching her, she sent me through one email where she was just in chronic worry. And I wrote back to her and said, I've sent your email back to you and I've highlighted how many times in your email you use the word need. Don't be needy. I think there was well over 30 times in one email she used the word need. So she was just seeking reassurance, but she'd become needy, which is the worst part of seeking reassurance. Then anxiety, shaking, unable to sleep. You know, if you get your first coffee for the day and you're like this, that's not a good thing. You probably shouldn't drink coffee, right? Back on the water, but unable to sleep. You're waking up at three o'clock in the morning to do all of these things. Let's have a look at what the group's saying here. Okay. Um, glad you clarified that tagline. I'm glad that I'm much more likely to wet myself laughing than worrying. <laughs> That's awesome, Ian. Thank you. Um, so funny, Ian. Yep. Okay, thanks. Everybody's saying thanks. Um, great. Let's have a look at some of the solutions for chronic, chronic worry. Um, the picture may give this away somewhat. Um, there's no doubt about that. Can't relax and, and sleepless, right? Okay, that's a big one. So, so let's have a look here. Debate realistic outcomes from trusted people. So this is where you've got something that you're working on. You're going, you think it's going to turn to the worst pile of crap you've ever seen because that's what your negative self-talk and your worries telling you. Why don't you get some people together and start saying, you know, what do you think we could do here? What's realistic? What's the absolute bottom line what's the worst case scenario you know and it's really good to find probably the most negative person you can find and and if you're worrying about something saying this is what i'm doing what do you think is the worst case scenario i bet you they don't tell you it's as bad as what you even think it is and that's the person you think is the most negative so reframe it okay meditation and yoga um, breathing all of that sort of stuff um, and I think this is a big one, breathing throughout the day. Most of us forget to breathe during the day. So using that little technique that Sahajit uh, showed you before, or simply, as I say, you know, putting your thumb and your, I guess it's middle finger, it's not your ring finger, it's not the other finger, that finger together. Um, there it is. So that you, on both hands, that closes the electronic signal that bridges your lung meridian and allows you to take in more air. So simply doing that and taking in three deep breaths a couple of times a day is going to ground you, particularly if you have chronic worry. Then a life review on manifestation. This is really interesting. Go and get a, a big A3 or A4 sheet of paper. And on that A3 or A4 sheet of paper, Start jotting out your timeline of your life and look at all the things that went really well. You know, you won the trophy for the best netballer at school. You, um, you uh, got your degree, all of those sort of things that you've got. And start to review this and you'll start to realize you've had the most magnificent, fantastic life. Um, you know, it would be easy to say, and uh, there's a person on this call, it would be easy to say that sometimes you've struggled with business and things like that. But, you know, that person, you and I have traveled to at least a dozen countries together. 
We've had the time of our life. We've seen things that other people could only ever wish to see in their life. I mean, what a fantastic thing to do. And when you look at this, you're, you know, you may be rating your net worth. You may be rating the money in your bank account today. But why don't you rate your experiences? Why don't you rate your achievements that other people will never achieve because they just can't be bothered getting off the couch to do it? Then coaching is also a way through um, chronic worry, and some of you may be needing to do that if you have got a real problem with, with chronic worry. I have the Sanskrit symbol for breath, the OM on my wrist as a reminder. That's really, really good, right? So sometimes it needs to be that upfront and personal with you as well. So let's have a look at no goals and no boundaries. So this is another area where we self-sabotage ourselves because we literally got no goals and no boundaries. So remember to tick these guys off. First one is you have a lack of clarity. So this is really going back to your business, step 101, chapter one, verse one of the circle of excellence, right? Gain clarity. So if you don't have clarity, this is going to allow you to maybe bring your boundaries down and certainly is going to diffuse your goals as well. You're going to be like this uh, picture here, which you don't know which of the three directions to go into. Then maybe it's a fear of rejection that's not allowing you to create boundaries and goals. Maybe because you're worried about people saying no to you, you're going to take on any client that you can because you're worried that if you go for just the exact client you want, they're going to say no. So maybe that allows you to do that. I think this is the big one. People pleasers have no boundaries and no goals, right? Particularly, they don't have any boundaries. They may have goals, but they get diffused all the time because they have no boundaries. So if you find yourself pleasing people, if you find yourself saying, yes, I can do that all of the time, and trying to make a plan to accommodate somebody and you know, telling your spouse, yes, you'll take time out of your day to do the washing when you know you should be doing it at night, whatever it is that, that's you people pleasing, then probably look to stopping that. Low self-esteem is another big one when it comes to boundaries and goals. You just don't feel that you're at the level that the people that you're dealing with are at. So therefore, because of that, you know, you tend to play small and you tend to have a lack of boundaries. And that also leads into, even before a lack of clarity, is a lack of strong personal values. So you're not sure what your values are. And if you can't write down your values right now without even thinking about them, ours is um, love, intuition, freedom, enrichment, and nobility, just to take them off the top of my head, right? If you can't write those down right now, then your values aren't strong enough. So let's look at what can be done about having no goals and boundaries. Firstly, you want to have a values, a core values focus. In everything you do, I just told you um, our core values right there. So that's a focus in everything we do. If, uh, if I didn't feel these webinars were going to be enriching um, to you guys and to us when we go do them, then we wouldn't do them. So it's got to be part of core values. Number two, create a short-term plan. So many of us have so many long-term plans. You know, we're going to make a million dollars in a year. Why don't we say we're going to make $10,000 in the next two weeks 
right? So create a short-term plan. That gives you a short-term goal, something that's achievable that you can tick off and start to feel good about those, those ticks that you're getting on the piece of paper for, for things that you're, you've had as goals that you're doing. This one's the big one for me, which is why I chose this picture. Say no, have walk away power, right? You just have to have the ability to say no. And you want to be saying no to people more than you say yes. You know, that doesn't mean you walk around all day going, no, 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 I'm not doing that. No, I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that you have a certain set of values, boundaries, and clarity that means that you say to yourself, I'm not going to write a blog on a Monday morning because I have other priorities that are far more important. It's saying to yourself, I am not going to go and speak at that event because actually it is not the right audience, even though I'm going to get paid for it. Um, it is having the boundaries of saying, no, I am not going to give you five sessions because you want them when I really only want to do three sessions. It's all of that sort of thing. Next is change your group. Hopefully that doesn't mean changing the group you're in at the moment, but it does mean perhaps not setting a place at the table for some people that you've been actually setting the place at the table for. So some of those can be relatives, best friends, et cetera, who are constantly bringing you down or trying to keep you stuck at their level. So because of that, you're letting them distract you, meaning that you have no boundary. Um, you're allowing them to doomsaying you, meaning you have no boundary, and you're allowing them to doubt you. You know, sometimes our parents are the worst of this. Oh, how are you going to do that? You're not, you're not uh, experienced in that. You don't have that degree, right? So in that case, you just stop talking about what that is and start working with people who are really going to lift you up and celebrate you. And of course, here it is again, improved self-care, nurturing, self-nurturing and things like that. Then this is number six, uh, sheer boredom. We self-destruct because of sheer boredom. And then you can feel yourself doing it. Uh-oh, here I go again. I'm going to self-destruct this situation. People do it with relationships a lot. They get bored with a partner or something like that, so they go and have an affair, knowing that they're going to get caught and the whole thing's going to blow out, right? You know, that's, that's exactly what it is. But we're not pertaining to life situations here. We're going to look at business. So you have a lack of purpose. You know, that's a clear trigger for boredom. Because you don't have purpose in your day, you find yourself doing other things that takes you off your goal all of the time. This is the big one for me. You're not doing what you love. You know, I see this all of the time with entrepreneurs, even successful ones. They're just not doing what they love. So in the end, it just doesn't get to where it really could go. And often it gets self-destructed. It could be a 10-year-old business, but then it gets self-destructed. They're seeking stimulation. They're drinking. They're um, taking drugs. They're, you know, having affairs. They're hanging out with their friends. They're playing golf. They're, instead of working, they're on PlayStation. You know, we've had a client who openly said to me they, they spend probably five hours a day on video games, you know, and they know it's disrupting their business. Well, that's because of some of these things. They're a drama queen. Some people are just want to explode things because they want to see the drama that falls out of it, okay? That's a big one. That needs some work. 
And of course, we have the fear of success, more importantly here than the fear of failure. We tend to blow things up because we're scared if they succeed that we can't do this again and again and again. So that's a big one for people. So let's have a look at uh, how we can overcome sheer boredom and stop blowing things up. Focus on what you love. That's probably the biggest thing for me. If you like baking cakes like this lady, find a way to bake cakes for all of your most important clients and give them cakes. Some of you know the story of um, Kay, who is a, an old client of mine, who was an intellectual property lawyer on the Gold Coast in Australia. And we went through this whole process with her and she was so unhappy with her business, even though it was going well. And, I, and she was an amazing artist. So I suggested to her that she do an oil painting of her top 12 clients and literally hang them in her um, foyer of her office. And the funny thing was she did that. They looked amazing, full-scale uh, portraits. And a client walked in and said, Kay, what are all these people on your wall? Who are they? She said, they're my top 12 clients. He said, why isn't my picture up there? She said, you don't spend enough money with me. He said, well, let's change that. I want to be on your wall. How much money do I have to spend to get on your wall? She worked it out and she said, it's another $50,000. He said, let me find a way to spend $50,000 with you. That's a true story. So if you focus on what you love, things just start happening around you. You find a new hobby or interest. Some of you just don't have time. You haven't put time aside for hobbies or interests. There's been that thing that you've been wanting to do for a little while, but you haven't done it. Sometimes collaboration can get you away from boredom. You're simply been doing this by yourself for too long. And bringing somebody else in, buddy coaching. There's a few Circle of Excellence members around the world that are doing buddy coaching now. Doing that type of thing um, is really great to, to get you on the straight and narrow. Make a promise. Make a promise. Write it. Put it out on Facebook. Put it, uh, send it to the members of your family. Give it to your business partners or your staff or something like that to get you focused again. And involve your team or a team. Maybe it's your sporting team. Maybe it's the team of your best friends. Involve them in what you're doing so that you've constantly got feedback loops coming and things like that. And that will make you less self-destructive and likely to blow things up. Let's just have a quick look at what people are saying. Definitely collaborate, Heather says. So I just said, I'm no gl so glad I never get bored, although I hear it's useful for creativity sometimes. Yep, I agree. Let's finish up here and then get some comments. Um, resilient people who are happy in themselves, fulfilled by the contribution of what they do and have purpose, community, self-discipline and awareness have the least chance of self-sabotage. So with that, I'm interested for you to add up your points and uh, let's see how many points you've got and then we'll open it up for comments, chats, et cetera, et cetera, questions in the last few minutes. Okay, so Alex, you're at 15 out of 30, so 50%. Thank you so much for your, your honesty. They're obviously a very quick adder upper as well. So that's, that's good. And, you know, I would be surprised if anybody's really low on this. And, you know, you are very conscious, well-skilled people. So if you want to put them up, you don't have to put them up. If you've got like 29 out of 30 and you feel embarrassed, don't put them up, don't put them up. But most importantly, the score is for you. Let's go whilst you're collecting here. 17 we've got, a nine, 
a 12, a 14. So all very similar scores, really, all in that sort of 10 to 18 sort of area. The good thing is we don't have people that are really smashing it up around the high 20s, which is great. Um, but also we want, to, we want to focus on some of these areas. So it might be nice for you to go back and look at some of the areas that you think are the top three areas where you're self-destructing and then look at some, um, some ways in which you can stop doing that or improve the situation. Let's face it, if you can get your 15 down to a 10 by the end of this year, what a phenomenal increase that's going to be in your motivation in the way in which you're going about business, so on and so forth. So in the last few minutes, any, anybody got any questions that they would like to ask? Does anybody have any comments that they would like to make? Yeah, Mike, let me jump in. Uh, my you. score was quite low, but there was one that really, really resonated with me, and that was the boundaries one. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, I've just come back from your marketing and sales weekend, and um, it was one of my biggest takeaways from the weekend as well, was just, you know, that whole process that Lundy took us through of essence and then values and then boundaries just kind of woke something because I know my essence, and I know my values, but I, I hadn't been putting boundaries in place and saying no to certain clients. But even what you then spoke about to the next one about boredom, the solution to that applies to the boundary, which is, you know, am I doing what I love? And, and I think immediately I realized there are places where I'm not and there are places where I am. And, and what people love about me is when I do what I love. And that's what attracts them more. And so, yeah, great takeaways there on boundaries again. Great. Thanks, Ian. Anyone else? Okay, we're going to bring this to a wrap today, folks. And I want to thank each and every one of you for being on the call and those of you that are watching and listening afterwards. Thanks for your um, dedicated interest as well. We, uh, we definitely try on our global intelligence updates to bring you all sorts of different things, some structured, some less than structured, and of course, wonderful guests for you to, to listen to as well. So have a wonderful week ahead and uh, go and write, uh, write a couple of things before you disappear and I'll see you all later. Bye-bye.